Good morning, everyone. Jim Laird here with Dr. Stillman. We've got a guest, Christy Morell, this morning. Of course, uh, we have some construction outside, so this is one of the few times I've actually do this indoors. Now, the reason I wanted to have Christy on is Christy has some immense experience coaching people in nutrition at the Division One level, which I kind of joke. I always love working to people, working with pe or talking to people that have coached the Division One level. I coach the Division One level. I basically one year experience at the Division One level in coaching is the equivalent of five years in the real world. I, I don't know if you have that experience, Christy, but yes. pretty much, yeah, that's about it. So I've been yeah. coaching for like, based on that, I've been coaching for like 50 years. So um, <laughs> a little cheat code. Agree. Um, Christy's worked with athletes. She works with people with eating disorders. You know, Christy, we've got this really weird um, kind of dichotomy with social media that's kind of occurred. We've got like this camp over here that's like, you don't need to worry about eating and what you eat at all. All you need to do is get enough sun. And then we got these people over here that are like, all you got to do is eat meat. And you get okay. people over here, all you got to do is eat vegetables. And the answer is somewhere in the middle and it moves a little bit according to the seasons and such. But how, how has this impacted your your job, your line of work and, and, and um, what you're seeing? So... I think it's actually very unfortunate how social media has, I mean, especially for the clients that I work with. So I, I do mainly work with disordered eating and eating disorders, and I specialize in adolescents. So I see them as young as 10. Um, and certainly the TikTok world and um, specifically the TikTok world with that age group um, has really just exploded. And um, people are more and more conscious of what they're eating, hearing so many things about what is good and what is bad in such a polarized way. There's no middle ground. There just seems to be very black and white. And um, and obviously the, the other issue would be, you know, just how many people are using different types of apps to change the way their appearance looks as well. So these young kids are seeing these, you know, I'm hearing like even 11 year old girls are scared to go to the beach because they don't have the abs that they're seeing on TikTok, right? So it's just really unfortunate. I think the younger group is, um, younger kids are more impacted from that standpoint because at the age of 11 and that young, you should just be going to the beach with your friends and experiencing life. And now there's this, how do I look? My abs don't look like this. My thighs don't look like this. And that has really um, just been a big issue with the work that I do. Um, the other issue is there's just so many people who get very um, OCD on this where it's, you know, I understand, I want people to eat well and I want people to be conscious of reading ingredients and being mindful of seed oils and all of those things, right? But I think that it's created such an impact on I can't eat anything with mm -hmm. the seed oil. And I'm like, well, then you're going to have to live at home and only cook always from what you what you make, because there's there's no way you're going to be able to function in the world and avoid seed oils at all costs. But it's almost created this like um, demonizing, <laughs> polarized idea of of health where it's like, I can't have any bad ingredient in my body. And I'm like, wow, we're way more adaptive than that. Like, we're gonna be okay. Yes, 80%, maybe 90% for those, but you can't do 100%. It's unrealistic and it's really gonna impact the way you live your life. So, but I feel like social media has certainly, um, unfortunately, been an issue with that because I, I think there's a lot of people out there who are 
just like, this is bad and this is bad and this is bad and don't go to the store and this, you know what I mean? And I understand, again, I have two teenage boys. I want my kids to be, be healthy and I want to promote that. But at the same time, if you do all of that and everything is bad, when they eat it, there's that mentality again of like, I've done something wrong. I'm bad now. That's right. Now I have to do some yeah. sort of like juice cleanse in order to detox this one ingredient that I ate. So it, it's it's really um, unfortunately been a, a more of a negative than, it, than anything else. It creates a psychological stress that's a bigger stressor than the actual food itself. Correct. Mm. You, you can almost say the same thing for people that hyper-focus on EMF, even though EMF is, is not great. You know, Correct. it's going to be almost impossible to avoid it in our modern world. But if you focus on that and you make it like the main thing, it almost creates a bigger stress than it might be. You know, That's right. Um, so we, we like to basically talk about building resiliency as opposed to like all these things are bad for you, you know? Right. Absolutely. So the, the technical term for this is actually orthorexia. And yes, yes, right, that many, is correct. Many people know what anorexia is because it's yes. very, sadly, very common. Obviously, yes. you see a lot of it. Yes. Orthorexia, ortho meaning right, rexia referring to food and what you eat, I believe right. anyway. I could be yeah. wrong about my Greek roots there. But the <laughs> point is just people will get this, uh, what is basically a, a totally new psychological syndrome that mm -hmm. in many ways replaces the eating disorder that they had before, but is just as dysfunctional. Uh, exactly what you've said. I can't eat this. I can't eat that. And we see this with people in ways, and I actually love the word diet. I love the word mm -hmm. diet because most people think diet means food, mm -hmm. but diet, the actual Greek root, means one's daily way of living mm. or specifically the, the prescribed way of living from a physician. Mm -hmm. And that's why when, when people say, Oh, well, let, you know, let your diet be your medicine. Like it's much more complex than just what you eat. And the word yeah. eat itself is a fascinating word. It's an English word. And the root of the word eat means to consume. And technically you consume things like air, you consume water, you consume light through your skin and your eye. And so people have to snap out of this mindset of everything I'm doing has to be perfect or near perfect right. because of the power of this psychological stress. And part of this is the nocebo effect. Many people are familiar with the placebo effect, which means to please. And it's about improving the body's function, helping someone heal by harnessing the power of the mind. You tell someone that a remedy is good for this or that, and you potentiate its ability to treat this or that. But if you tell somebody that this or that is bad for them, you actually set them up to experience that illness or increase its harm that it's going to do to them. That's right. Oh, absolutely. hundred percent agree. Yes, 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 yes. Orthorexia is a huge, um, I think is becoming a greater issue than because it's very masked. It's almost mm -hmm. like they get praised, right? That they, they're like, Oh, they're so healthy. That's so That's right. wonderful. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it, they can kind of get away with that mm -hmm. um, until they can't when they have to travel or do something where it impacts um, their food a little bit in a bigger way. But but yes, unfortunately, I think it goes sort of under the radar a lot with parents even. Um, and I've had parents even talk to me about, I thought she was just like watching food labels and measuring her food and bought a food scale. And I thought that was really great and healthy. Like she was really taking care of herself um, until she can't function in the outside world. So, right. you know, I think that's, that's where I, I'm seeing a lot of issues with it. We you know, unfortunately, I see as well, some people, even though they may be well-meaning, mm -hmm. are actually, they're, 
by by how they treat someone based on their food choices or their mm -hmm. lifestyle choices are creating problems. And yeah. then you're really, this is about good boundaries, healthy boundaries, healthy relationships. I love books like uh, Safe People or Boundaries by Cloud and Townsend for this, because what people don't realize is by saying things like, oh, honey, you really shouldn't eat that. If you don't have a healthy relationship with that person and you're not putting just little things like the right intonation on that, you can be, you know, really getting into somebody's head and creating problems. Of, oh, well, they won't approve of me. And so people who have problems with their self-esteem and their intrinsic value, you know, you're, you really can do a lot of damage to them. I see so much eating disorder uh, coming out of people's toxic relationships. Oh, 100%. Yes. And I'm always amazed on how people feel like they can actually say some things, say some things that they've actually, I'm just like, wow, there's no filter. They're, they're just blurting things out and don't even understand the impact. Um, even friends that do it. Um, it's, it's quite interesting that a lot of my teenage girls have told me stories too. And I was like, wow, I can't believe they're, they actually just come out and say something like that. So really, can you give us an example? Yeah. Um, like, why would you eat all that sugar? You know, that's going to be so bad for your skin and you're gain, again, going to gain weight. Um, mm. You know, just the judgment. If somebody mm -hmm. is eating in a very, you know, they're, let's say, orthorexia way, and then they have a friend who just is eating whatever, that they feel that they need to comment every time they're eating something that, that they themselves would not eat. And it's just... In fact, this one particular client is has really just moved away from that friendship, unfortunately, because it's always it's always an issue. She's like, I'm always feeling judged on whatever I choose to eat because she is living a life of, you know, she just doesn't eat sugar at all. Yeah. And so therefore she feels like she can judge others. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, I really try and steer clear of that when I'm coaching people. You know, I sit down and I, I a lot of people who are influencers or, or coaches will impose their will on the client as opposed to saying, what's your goal? Okay. Um, educate them on different food choices on different lifestyles. Like this is going to help you feel better walking outside three times a day. These are the things that are going to basically help you. Here's some things you can do, but in the end it's up to you. That's right. Like exactly. you don't have to eat that way to impress me. Um, you know, you, you, if you have certain foods that you like, you know, Mm -hmm. We can find a way to work it into your diet and lifestyle. But a lot of people in this space impose their will on other people, getting people to move or, you know, to, you know, you need to move away from this city or do this. You can educate that person on why where they live isn't great for them. And then right. in the end, they have to make the decision on their own instead of Absolutely. people imposing their will on others. Yes. A hundred percent agree. Yeah. And I, not only do I teach about that, which is a choice, like meeting people where they're at, which I know Jim, you're big with, which I appreciate. Um, that's so important um, because you can't take them from, you know, zero to a hundred. So meeting them where they're at. And then a lot of the work that I do is not just what they're consuming and obviously the whole wellness of their sleep, circadian rhythm, which we've, we've talked about, of course, before, but it is how they eat. So I really teach mindfulness and slowing down, which I think is part of the other issue with food um, is that a lot of people are either on the go are not eating, not eating enough, um, but not just sitting down and really just being present and 
enjoying their food and tasting their food. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people when I talk to them about this and they're just like, oh, I just eat and then I go. Like they're not really eating in the sense of appreciating, taking their time. Um, and that is what satiates them. It's not just putting the fuel in their body, but it's actually connecting and being present. And I find that a lot of clients that I that have um, issues with either binge eating or I call peckish eating, like they're constantly like snacking all day. Um, it's because they don't really sit down and enjoy a meal mindfully and being completely present. Um, and I have specific rules that I've kind of created over the years. And, and one of those rules is eat without distraction completely. So no phone and no TV, no um, screens of any kind, and really just sitting and being present. Um, and that's hard for people. It's interesting. We're so automatically plugged into everything that almost taking a break feels weird. It feels strange to them. Um, right. That's very sad. To me. It is sad. And it's, you know, there's so many elements to this that are important to talk about. The most important of which to me actually comes back to how people are feeling their relationships, their emotions. One of the most powerful trends I see is that in people who really struggle with their health, they're often very disconnected from their emotions. Mm -hmm. And when you don't really know how you feel, oftentimes the easiest way to stabilize your mood is to eat something, particularly something sugary, sweet, salty, fatty, mm -hmm. to get that dopamine reward system working so that you can go back to feeling normal. And when you talk to people about how they feel when they're quiet and sitting still and not eating for long periods of time, as you would if you're fasting, fasting and meditating, some combination thereof, what you'll hear people say is, I feel really, really uncomfortable. Okay. We also see this with people who are over-exercising, who are using exercise basically as a drug. Uh, and that obviously takes them in the opposite direction, right? I mean, they can destroy their body mass, their bone mass, their lean muscle. They can you know, just wreck themselves with over-exercise and what they're doing with that is the same thing that they're doing by, or could be doing by overeating. You know, they're hitting those dopaminergic pathways with, with exercise. And so it creates these vicious cycles and then they have to be willing to sit still and process their emotions, which is one reason why Jim and I are both fascinated down by neurofeedback and EMDR because we're, mm -hmm. still, you know, we're, we're reading yeah. up on that. And both of us are actually going through that process right now. Oh, and I've awesome. been really impressed by what neurofeedback's already done for me in terms of my focus. That's fantastic. Yes, absolutely. I think we need more and more of that now in the mm -hmm. state of age than ever before, just because absolutely. we have the technology and the access to everything and feeling like we're missing out or we need to check our Instagram, which is why, you know, I chose not to uh, be a part of, of that world uh, mm -hmm. a long time ago. And, and um, people think that I'm, I'm crazy for, for not, you know, starting up my own Instagram with, with food and stuff. But I really chose uh that because I, I just know that if I did that, I would constantly be needing to make content and like more connected to my phone than ever. And so for me, it was a personal choice because I think we are so, that's how life goes fast. Like my kids are, you know, they're 14 and 16. I'm like, I don't, I can see how when you're plugged into all of these things, life goes like this. It's so quick. But when you're present and you're away from as many things as you can and you're really like present, present, which I don't think people even really know how to do, which is mm -hmm. why even in my practice, I do teach like go through meditation and journaling and grounding and all of those things. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's interesting. Like, I think that is a way to sort of like slow down life, so to speak, when we are more present. 
And I'm trying to do that practice um, in my daily life, but I try to teach that as well. And that's been really interesting when it comes to the food aspect of, of their life um, because they have to plan a little bit more. They have to slow down and think about it um, mm -hmm. versus just rush through their day and just grab whatever. So, and that's also a unique challenge because it, it, you know, a lot of people who are struggling with food and with social media addiction, let's just call it what it mm -hmm. is for a lot of people, their frontal lobe function is not optimal and planning and thinking ahead and figuring out what they're going to eat today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. It's a lot of work for them just to move away from simple processed food, order it, you know, what it is, you're comfortable with it. Right. Uh, and so it can be very challenging to help these people. But, you know, it's interesting to me about all the things you've mentioned, right? And that we've been talking about meditation, mindfulness, quiet time, connecting mm -hmm. to the earth, things like that. When I've, I've really have been looking more and more into this over the last year because psychosomatic medicine is so powerful and to me just totally fascinating. But what I started to notice was that many of the ancient healing traditions uh, of the world had people do this without necessarily tying it back to what we now know from modern neuroscience. So, you know, traditional Native American healing, as one example, there's a big emphasis on song and song in a community and a group of people, uh, drumming, chanting, things like that. If you look at things like EMDR, there's a component to EMDR of bilateral stimulation. Bilateral stimulation in the rehab world is very well known to help the brain communicate and process trauma. That's why Jim is big about having people do cross connects uh, when he's training them because he mm -hmm. sees how it improves their function overall. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you'll look in the stroke literature and see that people who cross connect and do things like that, getting their brain to talk to talk to, you know, each side to the other um, improves their outcomes. And things mm -hmm. like, you know, when you're in a sweat lodge, if nobody's ever done a sweat lodge, you get into this small space with a bunch of other people. There's these incredibly hot rocks that have been heated by fire in the center of the, of the structure, um, which is made of a lot of different things, uh, you know, cause people used to make it historically with wood and then furs and hides over it. But now they'll use tarps, blankets, all kinds of other things. And in other places I've heard that they use like actual stone structures, like in central America, I've heard that's how they construct their, their sweat lodges. Wow. Yeah. And they, so they're absorbing massive amounts of infrared light. They're sweating, there's drumming, there's chanting, there's singing. Sometimes they'll go into things like prayers. Um, and then sometimes they'll introduce, you know, things like psychotropic drugs. Psilocybin is one example. Um, what's the other one? Uh, I mean, ayahuasca is used in South and Central America. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, nicotine from tobacco. And so hmm. it's really interesting to really look interesting. how they used, how they use these different things in order to keep people on track and keep people together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as we've seen people drift away from traditional things, that's just the native Americans, right? If you look in, you know, Europe, you have a completely different set of, of practices, very, very different, but some similarities gathering together, singing, like going to church, you live longer statistically. If you go to church, mm -hmm. um, you have a lot of health benefits you'll see from singing in groups, which is part of why going to church makes you live longer. All these things are there. The clues are in the literature. They just don't talk about them. Wow. That's incredible. That's really mm. fascinating. Yeah. Our, our society has destroyed silence and boredom, you know, mm. and uh, it's really hard to easy to get sucked into that loop. Very and, easy. And, and when you're in that mode, you can just become a human vacuum cleaner, right? 
Right. And, you know, for people that are struggling with this, you know, getting outside, going for walks, you might need to do something like neurofeedback because your brain is so caught up in that loop. You just can't slow down. Um, I've, I've definitely been there. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's something that a lot of people don't talk about. What, what, what kind of uh, habitual changes do you bring into people to help them, you know, retrain themselves to break out on a lot of these things? Well, so in my private practice, I, when I take clients on, I really take them on. And what I mean by that is I hold them accountable. So I think that people are very hardwired. If they've been doing a certain, living a certain way for a very long period of time, my role is to help them gently, gradually change those things, right? To what they want to be doing, but they just need someone sort of on the other side, holding them accountable. So I offer tech support. And so they, they literally text me right when they get up in the morning, like, okay, my walk is done. So if, if they're committed to walking or getting grounded, taking their shoes and socks off and just going into the grass for you know 20 minutes and getting that first sun on their eyes, whatever their goal is, I really hold them accountable to that every day. So I know that sounds like a lot. Um, I've been doing that forever and I feel like it's it's the only way that I've found where people are actually able to do it long enough where then I can start pulling away and then you've got this. But for some people, they really need that because they just, they want to change. They know they need to change. They just have a hard time starting it. So I'm like, okay, then I'm gonna hold that line for you. I'm gonna hold that accountability for you. We're gonna do this together until you feel like you got this and then then sort of I, you know, the the tech support isn't needed as much. But that's that's what I find to be extremely helpful. Um, they need that constant little bit re- of a reminder because it's just very easy to get sucked back into their old habits and just going about their day as they always have been. Um, so I find that to be extremely beneficial and helpful. Um, I noticed noticed that working in the gym for as long as I did is I had to continuously remind people over and over again, you know, they would backslide a little bit, like how are your habits? Have you been doing this? No, I haven't really been doing that. You know, and that's one of the reasons we integrated group coaching into Dr. Stillman's practice is so we could get more touches with somebody uh, and make it more affordable because, you know, if, if you're a doctor and you check in with somebody, you know, day one and you don't talk to them for two or three months, who knows what can happen in that time. And, you know, you have a death in the family, you have a divorce, you have whatever. And it's really easy for people to go completely off the rails, especially if they haven't taken the time to solidify new habits. Cause we all know when stress comes into your life, you're going to double down on whatever habits you have. And if those habits are bad, then you're in trouble. If those habits are good, that's going to help pull you out of it much faster. Right. right. Absolutely. And the group coaching also added for us a component of community. People commented they liked seeing the same people on the calls, getting to know other people outside of our programs, um, having other people who they heard their success stories, heard their struggles, things like that, uh, which is why. And then we also had people reaching out to us who are in states where I don't practice medicine. And we realized that we could offer them group coaching where we're educating them and teaching them how to be well which is our fundamentals of wellness course plus coaching that Jim and I put together. Mm -hmm. Um, If you want more information on that, it should be in the uh, link in the comments or the description, right, Jim? Yes. Yeah. And so we just had a great call this, this two calls actually this weekend for that, where, you know, we're able to give people direction and guidance and accountability and help keep them on track. And it is stunning how consistent the results are when they're consistent with the key habits. Mm -hmm. because they just make such a big difference and they help promote 
I think one of the things I think people with their, with their mindfulness and their mental health really don't hear enough is that your fundamental habits and what you eat is going to determine how your brain functions. And so this idea of looking for a magic pill, looking for another hack or biohack or supplement or protocol or, you know, whatever, uh, it's a big mistake that people fall into and they hop from one magical solution to another, often getting, you know, um, some kind of mileage out of each, each thing, but fundamentally they have to change the way that they eat. And again, like we've said, and the whole point of this video is you don't have to be perfect. Right. You know, your, your diet does not have to become some religious cult that you're a part of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And really that creates such destructive, um, so much destruction in people's lives. Oh, a hundred percent. I completely agree. And it's actually quite simple. Like when you break it down with what people, where people are and then what, what kind of small shift they can make and what like you, exactly what you just said, what a big difference it can make right. and then just build on that. Don't make it like, I got to go buy a juicer and then I got to, you know, I, I mean, they're just, they're, they're buying all these things and they're never using mm -hmm. it. It's not consistent. It's, it's overwhelming. And then they get frustrated and they, then they just like peace out. Like I'm not going to do any of it. Well, they get big, they get discouraged because yes. they feel like, well, if I can't do it perfectly, I, you know, what's the point? Yeah. It's not a you got to do the best you can. And I think the other big lie that we've sold with society or the powers that be have sold people is that you need to feel amazing every day. Mm -hmm. There's going to be times where you don't feel great. And that's mm -hmm. just life. Mm -hmm. right? You're going to go through phases where you have less energy and you're going to go through phases where you have more energy. Right. And that's just kind of part of being human. You know, yeah. well, particularly the psychiatric profession has sold people a worldview of pathologizing what is fundamentally normal human behavior. And I remember being in medical school and they said, oh, a normal grief reaction lasts six weeks. And I remember mm -hmm. thinking, how on earth did you come up with that? Right. How did you decide that a normal grieving response was six weeks? Like, what if you lose both your parents in a horrific car accident and you're 12 years old? You really expect that grief to last right. for six weeks? What planet are you on? And then they're like, oh, you're at the six week mark. It's time to start a drug to make you feel happy again. And yeah. I'm just like, oh my gosh, what is wrong with you people? Mm -hmm. Never do they talk to them about diet. Never do they talk to them about lifestyle. Correct. And one of the biggest things Jim and I notice with people is they're not eating enough protein and they're not mm -hmm. getting enough sunlight. And guess yeah. what? Sunlight and protein, it's very clear from the literature, increases your circulating levels of hormones and neurotransmitters that facilitate normal, healthy brain function. So of course, everyone in our dark, poorly illuminated, artificially lit world is mm -hmm. making an artificial light right up until the minute they go to sleep and is eating processed foods that have had the protein stripped from them and are loaded with refined carbs and fats and seed oils. Of course, those people are not feeling happy. They're not getting the light signal or the simple raw material to make neurotransmitters. Exactly. Yeah. I could not agree more. I, I do think protein is lacking. I see that across the board. Um, with, with even my young kids, the, the, mm -hmm. the kids that I see with eating disorders and it's so interesting. Um, you know, how, how much just that when they come home from school, they're, they're, what do they reach for? They're reaching for the typical goldfish mm -hmm. or the pirate's booty. Mm -hmm. And if they just supplement with some like good quality Greek yogurt and some blueberries mm -hmm. or even some hard boiled eggs or whatever, I'll work with them to figure out. It's like, they're a different kid. And like the parents are just amazed by, oh my gosh, they're actually like, they're able to sit down and do their homework or they're able to like be calm. And it's just right. fascinating to me. There's a whole world and I'm sure it's, you know, there are other people in the profession that are working on it, but that is a 
I find to be an untapped market with the younger kids and eating enough protein um, because their diet is solely based on what do they eat at night? They're eating buttered noodles. Then they're having two packets of goldfish. And then they're, you know what I mean? Just like tons of carbohydrates and not enough good quality protein. Um, and that to me is because their brain is still growing and developing is so important. So yeah, I hit on that a lot in terms so, of protein. So Christy, I'm really curious, what are your top tips for getting more protein into the diet? You got to make it simple and easy. First, I talk to them about what proteins do you like? Let's start there. So we talk about like what specific proteins and mm -hmm. then how do you make them easily access accessible accessible so for example um i worked with a kid who he he doesn't love chicken but he likes barbecue chicken and i was like okay great so can so i work with the parents obviously when i work with young kids it's it's very family um it, the whole family's involved and mm -hmm. so the mom just made a big thing of barbecue chicken and she keeps it in the fridge and she kind of just pulls it apart just like um, pulled chicken and he'll come home from school and he'll have that with like some few uh, crackers and some fruit and he's so happy he loves it otherwise he, you know what I mean so it's finding what they like and what they're going to eat um, some kids will eat Greek yogurt some kids won't hard-boiled eggs I find but be specific because I think yeah. what's funny about yogurt is yogurt is like people are like oh I had some yogurt which is a little bit like saying, oh, yeah. I had some cereal. Well, did yeah, you have no. organic, non-GMO, you know, yeah. gluten-free oatmeal? Or did you have you right, know, right, right. sugar-loaded, you know, like artificial flavoring and coloring laden, you know, right. box cereal yeah. from the grocery store? Yeah, yeah. So the brand, I really love the 100% grass-fed um, Greek yogurt. That's, that's my favorite one. Mm -hmm. That's the brand that I like now with some kids, they don't love that. Um, because it's very, you know, hard. So we're mm -hmm. finding ways. So when they, I give them lots of different recipes too. So we'll put a little bit of like raw honey with some raspberries or blueberries, mm -hmm. depending on what they like. And then they'll make sort of like a syrup and then they'll add it in there. And kids are like, wow, this is totally different. So it instead is. of just adding a bunch of other stuff or finding a sugar, uh, a, yogurt that's higher in sugar. I'm like, just make your own kind of simple syrup, so to, so to speak, um, yeah. and put it together. And so, so what I notice about yogurt and what I, mm -hmm. I know, you know, is that the Greek yogurts and, and it's not even just Greek, but the heavier yogurts are higher in protein. Yes. And I mean, heavy, like if you can't pour it out of the cup, Correct. it's heavier. Yeah. And you'll look at a lot of these yogurts on the shelf and it's like five grams of protein, Correct. 17 grams of carbohydrates, yeah. three or four grams of fat. And yes. that is not a high, high protein load. You're going to eat two or three cups of that and be full, but you'll only have gotten 10, maybe 15 grams of protein, which, you know, particularly when Jim and I are counseling somebody who wants to gain muscle mass or tap into the thermogenic effects of protein, mm -hmm. good luck gaining muscle or burning fat by eating yeah. that. You need yeah. to have something that's really high in protein and the you Greek yogurt is much higher. Exactly right. So like 16 grams of protein, ideally. And what's what's interesting about what you just said is that I'll see clients for the first time and the parents are like, no, she'll have uh, yogurt and then she does granola and berries. And so when you start, I'm like, okay, why don't we grab that yogurt real quick mm -hmm. since we're on Zoom. And exactly what you said, five grams of protein yep. and like 22 grams of sugar. And then they're adding in the granola and adding in fruit. And then they're, yeah. So it, it's it quite a massive carbohydrate so, bomb that supposedly is a high protein meal. That's right. I'm eating I ran into this yeah. issue with yogurt over my coaching career. I actually wrote a, an article. I think it might be still on the internet. It's called Yogurt is Not a Meal. That was the mm. title of the, of the blog post. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so, and there's lots of things you can do to it too. The other thing that I really use a lot is hemp hearts. Um, really? can easily be added to yogurts or smoothies to increase in protein fat, aren't and they? iron. High in fat, high in iron and high in protein. I think one of the things about, you know, the seed oils and the fats that people really don't understand, particularly for young people is that because that brain is growing so quickly, if you constrain its supplies of brain specific nutrients like omega threes, omega sixes, you know, the, the seed oils get vilified, I think very unfairly. It's not that the processed industrialized seed oils aren't bad. They're obviously bad for any number of reasons, but you know, olives are seeds. Well, actually I guess olives technically are fruits that have seeds inside of them. Um, you know, like coconuts are, are, are technically a fruit. They're kind of like a seed, chia seeds, flax seeds, you know, tree nuts, these are not poisons. These are really healthy foods. Yes. And the brain needs, you know, a mix of omega-3s and omega-6s in order to optimate fun op the function optimally. Yes. Which is why you'll see kids get better when they integrate things like seafood and things like tree nuts or any yeah. source of these, of these fats to help keep that brain, you know, properly fueled. Yes. So going back to the protein as well, like sprouted um, nuts or sprouted seeds, um, kids will typically eat that with some fruit as well. So mm -hmm. there's just, there's ways that they just don't think about it until we kind of put things together or making our yeah. own little protein balls. So, so yeah, that is very important. And I think um, for any parents listening, just looking at your child's protein intake is, um, is very important um, as snacks as well. So James asks, would you recommend whey protein concentrate for protein? My answer is yes, if you're not allergic to whey or cow's milk dairy. Jim? Yes. Yeah, you can always use goat whey too. And then make sure you rotate your, your protein powder sources. You know, these people that do whey for months and months and years, and I've got people that have been using the same protein powder for like 10 years. It's like you need to rotate those every couple months, beef isolate, egg isolate, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all these different things. I agree with that. Uh, absolutely. And that is another that thing too, is that people are eating healthy, right? But they're eating the same exact thing every single day. So they're not getting any cross nutrient, like they're just not getting any other nutrients. So yeah. I try to really help people get variety, but they're like, yeah, but it's working. Like I have all the things, you know, they have their protein, their carbs, their fats, it's all cookie sure. cutter, like perfect. And I'm like, yes, but you can't just have, you know, there's so many other benefits in eating a variety of different proteins, a variety of different mm -hmm. fats. Like you're mm -hmm. never, you know, so that I find to be interesting too, how people just get into a rut and a routine and then they just, that's it. That's what it also try. protects them from developing allergies to what they're eating. You, right. know, you, you look at people who develop celiac disease, you look at people who develop dairy allergies, any allergy, frankly. And you, you know, when you ask them, well, what are you eating? It's there at breakfast, lunch, and dinner in some form. Mm -hmm. or it's there at lunch and dinner or breakfast and lunch or something like that, or yeah. they consume it as a snack. And so yeah. that's where varying your, your food sources. And that's the thing. And people make this complicated. They say, well, how do I do that? It's like, look, the same person selling you whey protein is selling you goat whey. They're trying to sell you beef protein isolate. They're trying to sell you hydrolyzed chicken collagen. They're trying to sell you fish collagen. And I mean, you can just go crazy with your different protein powders. Right. And you can also just, when you're in the, you know, meat section of the grocery store, you know, just buy different meats. There's at least six or seven in every single, you know, butcher's case. And if you go to a real butcher, you might be able to get real exotic mm -hmm. things like ostrich and alligator and, mm -hmm. you know, whatever else you want. 
Exactly. I can't imagine that, but sure. <laughs> you can eat alligator and ostrich. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're down here in Florida now, Christine. I can use the idea of alligator. I know. I know. I need to be more open-minded. That's right. <laughs> well, Christy, right. thank you so much for joining us today. Why don't you uh, tell people where they can find you and learn more about you? Yeah, hundred percent. So thank you for having me, by the way, this was such a joy to talk to both of you. Um, Christy Morrell, rd.com. And um, that is my website. And there is a link in there where it comes to my email if they want more information about me or my sessions or have any questions. Great. Great. Well, everyone, please remember to like and subscribe and hit the bell notifications. So you get notifications when you go live. And thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Christy, so much. Thank you, Dr. Stillman. Take Everybody care. Have a, wonderful have a great day. Make sure, thank you make very sure much. You get up. You're welcome. Yes. Take care. Bye-bye.